Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to right over there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News. Jason Luber, if you would like to contact me, all my contact information is in the description of the show. And you can always call the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. That is a free call, depending on what kind of phone you're using, I suppose. Uh, Well, you can't call collect because I won't be there. (laughs) Well, there are more and more people buying electric cars. But there are still many more who are not. Now, the reasons are as varied as there are drivers on the road. Some say it's the limited range. Some say it's hard to charge. But is all of that true? General Motors is trying to answer some of those questions to convince more people to go electric. Joining me now is Derek Sequera. He is the director of General Motors Energy to talk more about these myths and the truths of electric vehicle ownership. Derek, thanks so much for joining me here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. Happy to be here. All right, Derek, before we get into the electric vehicle stuff, uh, I got to know, have you always been a car guy? I have always been a car guy. So for me, at a very early age, I just enjoyed cars and going to auto shows, looking at all the different brands. So for me, you know, getting into the automotive industry was just a natural transition. Do do you have a dream car, something you would really love to if money was no object to own? Yes. 1980 Corvette. Okay. Is what is what I'm going to one day aspire to have in my garage. I'd go with a 59 or 60 vet first. Okay. Yeah, more classic, classic style. Red yes. with the white trim. Yeah, it, definitely remember that. Uh, I, I, I saw you that you started at General Motors and, and worked your way up and up and up. You are one of those true success stories starting at the bottom and working your way all the way up to the lofty executive offices. For sure. Uh, 20, 20 years flies by. Uh, for me, General Motors has just been a place where you can have multiple careers, right? Being yeah. able to span everything from manufacturing through quality corporate strategy and now trying to convince everyone that electric vehicles are the way to go. My guest is Derek Sequera. He is the director of General Motors Energy. We're going to be talking about the myths and truths of electric vehicle ownership. Uh, Let's get into some of those. I think the major concern for most people is how it is fueled and, and the range that these vehicles have. What are the myths and the truths to the range anxiety that folks have with electric vehicles? Yes. So, you know, early on, maybe range anxiety was something that we should be worried about. But in the past few years, there have been some great advancements. Uh, First, on the battery side with newer vehicles having more range just built in. Uh, You know, for us coming out with the Cadillac Lyric and Chevrolet Blazer, that'll give you around 300 miles all the way up to a Silverado work truck where you're getting over around 450 miles on a single charge that alone should take a lot of the anxiety away from some customers who maybe at one point thought hey this is not going to be the vehicle for me because it's not going to get me as far as i want but but derek i i own a chevrolet volt i have for 11 years and so i understand Mm -hmm. the limitations that uh that electric vehicles have 
Now, I, I'm fortunate enough to have the generator in the front so I can keep going when I'm uh, out of electricity. Mm-hmm. But you you definitely know as an electric vehicle owner, especially in a place like Michigan where you are or Colorado where I am, if you're using it driving up hills and driving up mountains like I have to, or the temperatures are very cold, you're going to lose 25 to 30% of that battery range. So even though you say you get 400 miles, it's not quite 400 miles because of these temperatures. That would be at perfect temperatures driving at 35 miles an hour down a, a, a nice, gentle roadway. Definitely. And you got to plan for that, right? Depending on the terrain and weather. Uh, what we want to do is just make sure that customers are well-educated about that upfront so that they are able to come up with the correct charging solution that'll get them where they need to go. So whether it's figuring out what type of charger you need in your home to get you going, or being able to understand what the different public charging options are out there. So for us, that you know, range degradation that you see should be a non-issue because we want to make sure that everyone understands that up front and knows their options so that they can get over that range anxiety. And really, I think it might be a change in the way people think about how they fuel their car. My wife is used to going to the, she waits till it's basically on fumes, goes to the gas station, crew, you know, just kind of glides in there on neutral, uh, fills it up after about five minutes, and then she's good for another week. But I, I think that you have to think about it almost the way you think about charging your cell phone, where at night you'll charge it all the way to full, but during the day you might have to plug it in every once in a while to get a little bit more charge. That is exactly the way we need to start thinking, like our phone, like our personal electronic devices. I come home, I don't ever come home with like 0% my gas tank and wake up in the morning and it's magically full, but with an electric vehicle and a proper home charging solution, you have that ability. The average American commute is around 40-ish miles. And having that home solution, you know, you can have the confidence that, I'm going to come home with maybe a lower range than I expected, be able to top up in a couple of hours, and it'll be able to handle the the daily needs and then come back and charge when you need it. So that's the type of thinking we want to get into potential customers to really get them over that uh that trepidation of getting into an electric vehicle. But if you've been in Denver at at all over the last five years or so, we're not building a lot of new homes. We're building a lot of new apartments and condos Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And it's not like you're able to grab an extension cord and then roll it out of your fifth story window out to the street uh, to charge your car overnight. (laughs) So you, you have to rely on some of the infrastructure, which really isn't all as robust as it, as it could be. Yeah, and and that's that's a great point. Uh, the the multi unit dwellings the, is a tough egg to crack. But what we're doing is making sure that everyone understands their options when it comes to public charging. In our my Chevrolet, my Cadillac, and my GMC apps, you have the ability to route yourself to over one hundred sixty four thousand different public chargers across the United States and Canada. And on top of that. We're helping to build out more infrastructure by partnering with EVgo to build out DC fast charging in metro areas. Plus, we've got a project going on with the pilot company to build a coast-to-coast network as well. So I think it's a combination of connecting customers to the existing resources, plus 
everyone working together to build out infrastructure so that it's robust as we get more EV drivers on the road. And aren't you, Derek, partnering with Tesla to be able to use some of their fast chargers with General Motors cars? Yeah. So we recently announced that we'll be adopting the North American charging standard. And with that, uh, early next year, we'll have the ability to connect to that supercharge network as well. So that's just another project that we've got going on that will expand accessibility to public charging. My guest is Derek Sequoia. He is the director of General Motors Energy. We're talking about the myths and the truths of electric vehicle ownership. One problem, though, that I have noticed, even though there there are more chargers, public chargers, and and chargers coming online, what the ones I've seen around Metro Denver, because we have a lot of electric vehicles here, we have a lot of Teslas. That the usually these they're usually full. And or there or somebody has left their car there and walked away and, and then they're hogging up the space when somebody else could be getting, you know, a, a charge. Uh, is this is this one of the issues that that we're still seeing is that w- when you do have these charging stations, you might get there. But now you're going to have to wait for 15 or 20 minutes for not only f- that guy to move so you can get in there. But now you have to wait 15 or 20 minutes to charge up your car. And there goes an hour. Yeah, so that, that that's a real problem, right? Especially as we're building out the infrastructure. But as I mentioned before, by utilizing the chargers we've got available in our app, we're signing deals with the different charge point operators to get some of that dynamic information about the stations back to the customer so that when they're route planning, they'll know A, this charger is full, or B, the charger is out of order and get them to an appropriate charger. So. Those are just some of the improvements we're working on to make charging reliability um, a non-issue as well. How long do you think it's going to take to get battery technology to the point where we can uh, just pull up to a fueling station and spend as much time, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes, to get our battery charged to a pretty good level, if not all the way full. I mean, how long is it going to take for us to get to that kind of technology and that kind of reliability in in charging service? Great question, Jason. Technology is rapidly improving. Like, you know, you've, you've had a bolt for a while, right? And, you know, their charging is peaked out at certain levels. Yep. But as we build out new vehicle platforms, such as our Altium platform, you now have the ability to charge at faster speeds out in public. A great example is on our Silverado work truck EV. You can get over 100 miles in 10 minutes at a 350 kilowatt DC fast charger. So now you're starting to talk about times that are getting down there closer to what you'd expect at a gas station. Right. Uh, to get a, at least to get around town, maybe not long distance trips just yet. You'd have to spend more time, obviously, charging. But and, and mm-hmm. some of the rural areas are still having a hard time uh, getting those kind of capacities because I, I, I saw a video the other day of, of somebody at a charging station. There were two uh, electric chargers there. And then right next to it was a huge diesel power generator. So, I mean, that that <laughs> that, that doesn't seem very green to me. No. And, you know, we're, we're very bullish on building out infrastructure in the future, but also working with utilities to make sure that the capacity is out there as well, so that more of these chargers can be put in locations such as these rural areas. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I and I have been, as you said, I've been driving the Chevy Volt, the one with the generator in the front, not the Bolt, which is all electric all the time. Well, I guess mine is all electric all the time. Uh, and, and, but I could tell you, I, I would not, uh, e- even after driving it for this long, I wouldn't wouldn't buy right now a pure EV. Uh, I would still, I think, stick to a hybrid at first. Uh, you know, like St- Stellantis just announced that they're going to have their future Ram. I think in a couple of years, their Ram trucks are going to be uh, EVs. But they'll have that ice generator like my Volt does to allow it to get continued range because some of these, uh, I don't know if this is happening with General Motors, but some of the other companies are having issues with the range that we've seen with the the Lightning and, and with some of the Ram trucks uh, getting the, the range and the, and the power that they need from just electric motors. Sure. Uh, that's where our strategy is a little different. We focus on building a ground up electric vehicle platform, not working on optimizing a internal combustion engine platform and putting an electric propulsion system in. So our Altium platform, we're actually starting to see those ranges that we were looking for. And we also have the ability to scale it all the way from a smaller crossover vehicle all the way up to a truck. So we're uh, we're pretty excited about uh, the capability of our Altium platform and the ability for us to to get those ranges that we're looking for. My guest is Derek Sequera. He's the director of General Motors Energy. We're talking about the myths and the truths of owning an electric vehicle. Uh, I think one of the other myths is that you need a special home charger for your EV. It does help if you want to charge it faster. But like with my Volt, I can just plug it right into the wall. Yeah, it takes longer, but I can just, no different in the technology. I just have a plug, plug it in and plug it into the car. Yeah. Uh, So when you look at the EV lifestyle, over 80% of your charging will be done at home. So it's super critical to ensure that you have the correct home charging setup so that you'll be able to get where you're going the next day. What we want to do is make sure that customers know that as early as possible. So having that conversation with our dealers at the time of purchase, before purchase, and walking them through our entire product ecosystem all the way from, yes, the cord set that you can plug into the wall up to a wall-mounted charger that'll give you 11 and a half kilowatts or up to 19.2 kilowatts of AC charging because that will make or break that your EV experience having that home solution where you can treat your electric vehicle like your phone. And one of the recent announcements from General Motors uh, that you're going to have bi-directional charging so you'll be able to put electricity into the vehicle and then also take uh, electricity in the vehicle and put it back into the home but is, is that the the only reason I can think that that would be useful is maybe charging at night and then let's say I do work at home or or my vehicle's not moving then draw that power back during the day and maybe offset the those surge or tiered pricing uh, electricity pricing uh, issues that some companies are charging we're really excited about bidirectional charging because we believe that's really the the next step in terms of allowing a customer to extract more value out of their electric vehicle. Yes, you know, there are the abilities to work with utilities or for a customer to be able to pull energy when needed. But one of the biggest use cases for taking the stored energy out of your vehicle is in the event of a blackout or a power outage. 
there was a stat um, earlier this summer that over a third of the U.S. Uh, through the Department of Energy was at risk of a power outage. Imagine being able to utilize that Silverado EV sitting in your driveway when it's not doing anything to power your home. That's one of the huge use cases that we see with bi-directional charging. And we're really looking forward to get that out there into the market once the Silverado RST launches. Yeah, because I don't think most people understand. They understand miles per gallon and they understand gallons in their car. But I don't think they understand how you're fueling a vehicle where when it comes to kilowatt hours. And I think the average home is somewhere in that 30 kilowatt hour range. And some of these newer vehicle, the battery capacity is in that 200 or 300 kilowatt range. So you could literally, I mean, literally, as you said, charge your home or run your home off of your vehicle for a couple of days if need, need be. Yeah, you have all of that stored capacity sitting in your driveway. So why not give the customer the choice to be able to use that when they need it? Uh, so for us, that's just huge. And what we want to do is really help educate the customer on things like understanding the differences between gallons and kilowatt hours. And we've got a great resource at EV Live. So evlive.gm.com. Customers can go in there or potential EV uh, intenders and learn more about what is a kilowatt hour, what are the basics of electric vehicles, or more about bi-directional charging. Yeah, because yeah, my Volt, I think, because it, it's a 2014, so it's the older model. They don't. It only holds, I think, about 16 or so kilowatt hours. But And I try to equate that for people who ask me all the time about how it works, about a gallon of gasoline. So then you multiply that by how many kilowatt hours the newer batteries can hold. So I think there still is, even with me, having to teach folks <laughs> how it all works and how it all equates it all begins with education right that's why we're doubling down on tools such as ev live educating our dealer network so that we can help dispel some of these myths and build that education base to really get customers to adopt electric vehicles much sooner my guest is Derek Sequera. He is the director of General Motors Energy. We're talking about the myths and the truths of electric vehicle ownership. Another major talking point for a lot of folks is that electric vehicles are actually worse for the environment than their ICE counterparts. It is, isn't that, though, somewhat true and also somewhat false at the same time? Yeah. So, okay, there may be differences in the carbon footprint as you're building out the vehicle. But Jason, the moment you drive either of those vehicles off the lot, you are already starting to lower your carbon usage by driving an electric vehicle. That internal combustion engine vehicle is going to continue to burn fossil fuels as you drive it, gain mileage. I've also heard the argument about, well, I'm in West Virginia and all our power comes from coal. Well, you know what? States all around this nation are starting to move to more sustainable sources of energy. And what we want to do is really help our customers understand that. There are utility programs out there in certain states or jurisdictions where they will have lower rates for you when the grid is operating on more sustainable sources so that you can know, have the comfort that when you're charging your EV, 
you're utilizing the grid when it's operating primarily on those sustainable sources. But those sustainable sources, we have a lot of wind power here in Colorado, but uh, it, it is not as robust and it can't power enough of everything that is trying to go electric. The same thing is happening in California, where right. it seems like they're they're almost trying to push too much and maybe not uh, explore nuclear that might be an option for um, some states or or at least clean natural gas. So, I mean, there are some options that, at least in the short term, as we work towards long-term solutions, could help out maybe get to those those goals. Absolutely. And we actually think that the electric vehicle is going to be part of that solution as the states, utilities run into issues with generation. You go back to the concept of bi-directional charging. So you take the energy in that vehicle and okay, we talked about the usage where, hey, maybe I can offset uh, demand or I can power my home in the event of a blackout. In the future, you know, we see programs working with utilities to be able to take that energy and put it back to the grid so that you can help with the problem when the grid is potentially at capacity. Right. Yeah. Cause I saw if, if you were buying a pure electric that had very minimal, um, Oh, uh, manufacturing, uh, issues and you were using basically pure only wind or solar power to put into the car. It would take about two years to, uh, be greener a- a- after that. But since, like you said, a lot of the power yet is, is not all of that. It takes longer to then, uh, equal what that carbon footprint was. So going back to that original point, you know, being worse than for the environment, some folks just aren't convinced that it will ever be uh, better for the environment because of the mining and because of the manufacturing. And you have to move these cars from, let's say, overseas on a ship that's diesel powered to the United States or vice versa. You're shipping it by truck. I mean, all these different factors that come into this. Oh, definitely. Like there are different vehicles that are going to have different footprints, but what we're trying to do is build more here in the United yeah. States and continue to work on our supply chain issues to be as efficient as possible and as sustainable as possible. Yeah, like the mining issue. I was just reading a story about up in Wyoming. They're looking at maybe one of the largest rare earth mineral deposits uh, in North America. But when they're getting that out, they're they're using those huge diesel uh, diggers and trucks and, and all of that. So I, I think that's where they, they come up with the, uh, it's not as green as you might think to have these batteries created with all these rare earth minerals. Yeah. And, and there are other industries that definitely need support when it comes to sustainability. But if they take the same point of view that we have here at General Motors and working towards a zero emissions future, maybe they'll work on innovations such as greening their fleets as well. My guest is Derek Sequera. He's the director of GM Energy. Um, we're we're talking about uh, the myths of some of the general or the uh, electric vehicle ownership. Uh, one of the other myths that that are out there about end of battery life that there's not a way to recycle these batteries yet. My my Volt is still going strong at 125,000 miles, which I'm pretty stunned about. Um, but there, I think there will be a time when that battery has to be retired. Where are we with battery recycling? Where can, can it can it be? It, obviously, it's not green just to toss it off into a into a landfill. Yeah. So we believe that the 
the battery is going to outlast the vehicle. But there will be a certain point, depending on how long you're going to keep it for, where that efficiency goes down. And yes, it might not be suitable for an electric vehicle, but there are other uses out there. Stationary energy storage, smaller, um, smaller use cases. And we've got teams that are working to come up with ideas for how to make that complete transition from the battery or for the battery from the vehicle to its second life. Because we think that there are a lot of options out there for those batteries. Will it come down for some people to wait for the better te- battery technology in five or 10 or 15 years to, to, when EVs become much more efficient and, and longer lasting and faster charging? Is that is that going to be the point, you think, where maybe we cross over and more people are going to be interested in, in jumping into an EV? Not necessarily. Technology is always going to be advancing, right? And if you look at uh, EV sales the way they are, they're continually going up and now you're getting into a percent of total sales for electric vehicles that are at levels that we didn't expect to be here in 2023. So we continue to see that going and there's going to be a core market of EV intenders that are going to continue to go into electric vehicles. And when your neighbors start seeing more and more electric vehicles in their subdivision, the light bulb is going to go off and they're going to think, Hey, Maybe it's okay for me to drive an electric vehicle. Uh, one of the other myths is that vehicles, uh, electric vehicles, produce more tire and brake pollution because they're typically heavier than their ice counterparts. Yeah, uh, that one I'm not too familiar about. Uh, it's not a myth that, that typically comes up, but uh, you know, tires and brakes—they're on all yeah. vehicles, whether it's an electric vehicle or an ice vehicle. And we're going to continue to work on ways to make those more efficient and get longer life out of. Well, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, I still at, at 125,000 miles, I am still on the original brake pads, w- mm-hmm. which I am stunned about. Every time I go to the dealership and they look at it, they go, no, you're good. I'm like, seriously, how can I be good? I, I think it's the regenerative brakes that help give you longer life. Uh, so that that would, I think, equate to less brake dust in the air and, and less wear and tear in that regard. Uh, I have had to put tires, I think, a little bit on or, or put new tires on earlier than uh, an equivalent ice vehicle because of the weight of the vehicle and well, maybe the way I drive, too. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's all it all comes with the, the cost of maintenance of a vehicle, right? So, you know. Different factors come into play there, but we want to make sure that everybody understands that maintenance is always going to be a key part of operating any vehicle. One of the other funny myths that uh, your people sent to me was that um, it's dangerous to charge an EV when it's raining. <laughs> I've never <laughs> now, now I, I have not, not had that problem, but I, I usually do because I have the option not to. I don't. <laughs> yeah. It is definitely a myth. You can charge an electric vehicle in the rain. You can charge it in the snow in Denver in the winter, too. Uh, and that you can't take an EV through a car wash. That seems silly, too, because the whole thing is just waterproof, pretty much, just like any other car. Yeah, it, just like an internal combustion engine vehicle. Uh, how about this one? Uh, EVs are not fun to drive because there's no sound coming from the non-existent engine. Uh, honestly, 
it's a lot better. You know, having that nice, quiet sound sometimes. Yes, you might, you may miss the, if you're a muffled car guy or gal, you may miss that. But an electric vehicle, driving in it is just so calming. But taken away from the sound, the things you gain on ride handling and instantaneous torque more than make up for the sound. And, and that instantaneous torque actually changes the way you have to drive in ice and snow. At least that's how I've learned because you, and you don't hear the engine revving. So if you think you're stuck in the snow, you, it, you're rocking your, your car back and forth and you can hear the engine revving and the tire spinning. Cause then you'll know it is, you don't get that when you don't hear an engine, you don't know how fast your tires are really spinning. Definitely a learning curve yeah. with an EV, just like there are for any vehicle. But I know I'm, I'm from Canada. I always recommend any vehicle in the snow. You should get proper winter tires. Right. Right. And, and you know, I, and I do hear most of the vehicles that are all the Teslas uh, and other electric vehicles, you'll, you'll hear a, a slight hum, uh, especially when they're reversing, there's almost more of a hum to them. Um, and, and I think, like, I think you alluded to this. It's really the hot rod purists who, who aren't going to be EV, EV buyers right now anyway, uh, and they're not really interested. They're the ones that, that are going to be missing the sound of the revving engines. I, I think it would be the same with a Harley Davidson owner who would be forced to buy an electric motorcycle would want to probably simulate that same Harley exhaust sound. Yeah, quite possibly. But I would love to get those drivers in an electric vehicle <laughs> and just show them the other benefits. I, I would just like them to, to be a little bit more quiet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Look, I, I understand the you know the the loud pipe save lives that whole argument, and I've talked about it here. Um, but it, it's it's annoying when they're when they're revving their engine down your neighborhood road. Uh, it it is quite quite annoying. Yeah, wake up the kids early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that's not cool. Uh, do you, why do you, why do you feel at, at General Motors that you have to go out and explain all of these myths? Is, is it some people just, is it okay that people just want to use a gas car right now because it's still less expensive for the most part to, to buy one? They're still, for the most part, easier to fuel. Isn't that still okay? Oh, absolutely. Like at General Motors, we've got cars for everyone, right? For the hardcore sports enthusiast, sports car enthusiasts, trucks, electric vehicles. So we've got everything covered. What we want to do is make sure that we're explaining what an electric vehicle is, what the lifestyle is, so that customers have the choice across our wide portfolio. Whatever fits their lifestyle needs, we want to make sure that they understand and can make the best informed decision. Uh, are there other myths that uh, I didn't touch on that that you think people need to know about? I think the the key is an electric vehicle is just not for me is one of the biggest myths that's out there. And for us, we want to make sure that as I said before, I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's all about education. <laughs> right. Anyone can get into an electric vehicle, and we want to make sure we can answer all those questions by building out tools such as EV Live or having a great portfolio 
or entire ecosystem of charging products and solutions that'll make life easier for that customer. And, and these apps and, and your website, I would imagine they're all free for folks to use or, or at least ask questions and, and get these uh, myths or their other issues answered. Absolutely. EVlive.gm.com available to anybody via web, your mobile device throughout the week, hours across the country. So East Coast, West Coast, Mountain Time, you've got an EV specialist on the other end of that line ready to answer your questions. And, and lastly, I, I was just thinking about hydrogen and, and where you think the hydrogen uh, plays in all of this because they are still electric vehicles just powered by yeah. hydrogen getting creating electricity. Where, where are we with the hydrogen technology and do you think that has a place along with the battery technology? Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, hydrogen is just um, another electric vehicle with uh, a different fuel source rather than pulling it off the grid. So we believe there's a place for different types of propulsion systems, uh, depending on the use case, right? So maybe an electric vehicle works for a small SUV. But when you start talking about bigger vehicles, maybe hydrogen makes more sense. There's always a different options out there. Yeah, especially for long-range trucking. It seems like that would be a perfect solution for long-range trucking because then you could just fill it up almost as quickly as you can with gasoline, and then you keep on going, but you're still using electric electricity. For sure. That's a great use case. Yep. Uh, until we get the Hyperloop, right? <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. One day. <laughs> i don't think you're very optimistic about that one all right derek <laughs> derek sequera general motors energy director thank you so much for uh joining me and all your expertise i really appreciate your time thank you jason been a pleasure now obviously general motors is trying to sell more electric vehicles because they are all in on EVs. And so this it, it behooves them to get out there and uh, try to uh, uh, dispel what they say are myths and give more truths about how it, uh, what it is like to own an electric vehicle. And again, I'm, I'm pers you know talking from personal experience, I still, even at this point with better battery technology, just for my own peace of mind, I prefer to have the setup I have now, which is the electric vehicle with the uh, generator in it, or I would go with a hybrid uh, that, that you can get. Like the Prius is a uh, regular ICE engine, internal combustion engine, with a battery that helps get it better gas mileage. But there are electric vehicles with, with plug-in hybrid technology uh, that also get better gas mileage, or you could just run them on electric. You can run them on both. And I think that's where I am right now. And I think I'm ready to wait another five or 10 years before getting some kind of pure electric, because I don't think we're there yet. And, and, and the maintenance really is the reason I bought my Volt in the first place. Wasn't about going green or anything like that. It was actually about, I was so tired of spending money at the oil change place and the oil changes kept getting more and more and more expensive. Uh, the gas prices were more expensive. And so it just kept bugging me that I'm in there every three or four months uh, getting an oil change. And it costs so much money. And that's why I was bugged by it. And that was the original impetus for me to go with the electric car, the Chevy Volt. And, uh, but, but because it has the generator in, in the car, um, it, it 
allows me to keep on going even even if I didn't have it plugged in or have enough charge. Um, but you still get the benefits of all the lower maintenance. With it, it is amazing how much less maintenance there is and how much you will save in less maintenance on an electric car over a regular car. And you will pay a higher fee, but you also get some money back. I was fortunate to get in, uh, get, get in early, and I received $7,500 tax credit, not a tax deduction, but full-on money back in my pocket tax credit from the federal government, and it was about $4,000 from the state of Colorado. So it was about $11,000 that came back to me for buying this vehicle that was uh, about $15,000 more than what a comparable uh, ICE car or internal combustion engine car would have been. But I have made up that difference tremendously with all, uh, with the maintenance. Uh, I mean, not replacing my brakes uh, ever since owning the vehicle. <laughs> I mean, ever never replacing the brakes or the pa- you know the pads or the shoes or the or, or the drums or any of that stuff. Um, I, I'm still I, I've had oil changes on the generator every I don't know nine or ten months. It, so it's. It really, the maintenance has been phenomenally good for me uh, on this vehicle anyway. But I'm still not quite ready to go (laughs) all electric all the time just yet. But if you have questions, comments, concerns, of course, you can reach out to uh, General Motors at their EV Live or probably GeneralMotors.com as well. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.